Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament passage of John, the Gospel record of John and chapter number 13. The Gospel record of John and chapter number 13. We've been continuing with our series of the Upper Room Discourse, subtitled The Idea is The Last Night with Jesus Christ. That in this passage here, the Bible dedicates John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, all dealing with the last hours of Jesus Christ on this earth before he is arrested and sent to the cross of Calvary. That Jesus Christ has traveled with his disciples for three plus years. And now is the night before him going to the cross, Jesus knowing everything, knowing that he is going to the cross, knows that he is going to set some time aside to prepare the disciples for the change that is about to happen. That Jesus Christ has separated himself from the masses, set himself aside from all the rest of the followers, and has just taken the 12 disciples and has pulled them aside. And in order to get their attention, then after the memorial supper, the last, what is commonly called the last supper, Jesus Christ does something unusual. He puts on the servant's robes and the servant's towel and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Immediately the disciples understand that there's something different going on. That Jesus did an object lesson to grab their attention to let them know that there's something different about this meeting, something different about this time. Jesus goes ahead and dismisses Judas Iscariot, who scampers off to go betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately Jesus takes the other 11 and begins to instruct them to prepare them for the things they are about to face. Their world is going to be turned inside out within the next 12 hours. That within the next 12 hours, Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed by a kiss by Judas Iscariot. Jesus Christ is going to be arrested and placed on a false illegal trial before dawn. He is going to be sentenced to death. He is going to be transferred over to the Romans who had the authority to put someone to death. He is going to be examined and scourged by Pilate. The people are going to chant, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus Christ is going to be placed on the cross of Calvary. And there he's going to bleed and die for our sins. This is going to happen within a matter of 12 or so hours. And the whole world of the disciples are going to be turned inside out. So Jesus is taking time to talk to the disciples to prepare them for what is going to happen. And that he began by explaining to the disciples that that instead of looking at the cross as a bad thing, that the cross was to glorify God. And that the cross did glorify God. The worst thing that ever happened in history was used to glorify God. He also took time to describe to the disciples that a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. He explained that hereby all people should know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And again, knowing that human... Um, 
interactions that when people are placed under stress, when they feel pain, when they feel emotion or turmoil, the temptation is to lash out that hurting people hurt people. And with the disciples hurting, Jesus Christ has died. That there's the likelihood that they could have turned on one another. I can imagine a disciple pushing and shoving Peter. How come you said that you were going to follow him to death? You denied him three times. Where was you at? Knowing that they had ran from Jesus Christ as well during that time. But wouldn't it be easy in our human flesh to start blaming and attacking one another? And Jesus has pulled them aside and said, listen here, you are going to hit some bad patches here in just a moment. Things are going to be turned upside down. I want you to remember this, that hereby everyone, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, again, that puts this into more context. It's not just saying that you're supposed to love one another when you're happy. You're supposed to love one another when things are going wrong, when you are hurting you're still supposed to love one another. Jesus continues with this discourse. He's talking to the disciples and preparing them. And they're starting to ask some questions, especially when Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow. Let's confuse them a little bit. And Jesus continues with that same idea of describing that he is going to leave somewhere and they can't follow him immediately. But he's going to go prepare a place. If you don't mind, let's pick this up in the context. In the gospel record of John chapter 13. The gospel record of John chapter 13. And let's look starting at verse number 36. The gospel record of John chapter 13. And verse 36, the Bible says this. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. But thou shall follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The, croc, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we cannot know whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is repeated three times within three verses? The first instance of this, notice with me in the gospel record of John chapter 14. The gospel record of John chapter 14 in verse 4, notice the phrase, the way, the way. Notice again at the end of verse 5 where it says, the way, the way. And then once again in verse number 6, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the way. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach a message that Jesus Christ is getting across to his disciples at this time about the way, the way. 
If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you and we can see the intimacy that you have with your disciples, as you knowing what they are about to face, you are giving them some preparation. You're giving them some encouragement. You're giving them much needed instruction because of the confusion that they're going to have in their day. We're asking that as we are drawn unto you and study your scriptures that we could be solidified in knowing the way and understand what you're getting accomplished and that we in this life here, in this time now, that we can have the satisfaction, the security that you promise us because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Be with us now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and you get your word, work accomplished tonight through your precious word. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said before, that Jesus Christ has taken some time. And this is an intimate part of the Bible. An intimate time where Jesus is just taking time with his disciples. And trying to get across to them what is going to happen. And how they can be solidified inside, anchored down inside of some of the worst times they will ever face. And we too can also have that anchor in the time of storm. We can be set on a solid rock that when the storms of life blow us, we don't have to be blown around. We can be anchored down because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't mind, let's walk through this passage and let's understand what Jesus Christ is teaching about the way. First of all, we understand that we cannot follow Christ to the cross. We cannot follow Christ to the cross. Notice if you don't mind starting at verse number 36. John 13 and verse 36. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Now during the course of the evening, Peter starts to pick up that there's something going on. Now before the memorial supper. Before the last supper. The, Jesus, the disciples had been arguing amongst themselves. Saying who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They did that quite often. I can't imagine the patience of Jesus as a teacher. That Jesus is teaching. Hey I've got to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to die. But I'm going to rise again. And he looks back at the disciples seeing who's paying attention. And they're all arguing among themselves. Well, I'm going to be greater. Well, I'm going to be greater. Well, I'm going to be greater. And so Jesus Christ, knowing that they're having the fights, knowing that they're all about themselves, has taken some time to get their attention by taking the servant's towel and begins to wash their feet and say, do you understand what I just taught you? Do you understand what I'm getting across to you? Then he takes some time as Judas leaves and says, things are going to change now. And he's already said that where he goes, in fact, notice with me if you don't mind, and... Um, in verse number 33, in the context, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said to, unto the Jews, Whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Peter hears this, and he has the question, As soon as Jesus takes a breath, as soon as he's quiet just for a second, Peter raises his hand and said, Wait a second, you just said that whether you go, we can't follow you. I'll follow you. You just tell me where you're going. I'll follow you. 
<laughs> Peter asked the question uh, in verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Now the way that Christ was speaking tipped him off. Jesus, uh, Peter asked the question, where are you going? Jesus says, now where I'm going, you cannot follow. Now where is Jesus going? Remember what I've already said, that in a short couple of hours, Jesus Christ is going to be arrested. He's going to be put on a false trial. He's going to be scourged and beaten. And he's going to be put on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus Christ went to the, Cal to the cross of Calvary, that was a one-man job. Jesus Christ, his blood being shed was enough to pay the price for every person and every sin. Every person who ever lived and every sin that ever committed. That Jesus Christ's blood was enough. That he did not need help to forgive people of their sins. He did not need assistance to get the blood to apply to everyone else. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, it was for him and him alone. There's nothing that could be added to it and nothing that could be taken away. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did not need Peter's help. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did not need our help. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was enough. And so Peter could not follow Jesus to the cross that day. This was Jesus' job to do. It was his responsibility. He could not pass the buck. He could not have someone help him out. It was him and him alone. Now, Peter's not quite understanding. This is the third time in th this book, in this chapter, that Peter, because he does not understand, spoke out of pride and rebellion. We learn something here that you don't have to hate a person in order to be in rebellion. The only thing that is needed for rebellion is pride. Pride. When you think you know enough, when you think you know what's happening, you can rebel against authority because of pride. It doesn't mean that you hate the person. Peter didn't hate Jesus. I meant he said, I'll follow you even to death. But because he didn't understand and because of his pride, he had rebellion. You know, flesh is nasty. Flesh is horrible. Flesh says, I can get it done. I can make it happen. You see, we either live our life by force or we live our life by faith. You live your life trying to make it happen. It's almost like taking the old children's toy. You know, that children's toy that's a little globe, has blue side and a red side, has all the little shapes into it. You know you can get that circle thing inside of the square hole. You could pound it in there. My kids know they practiced it. You know, you could squeeze it. You can make it work, but you have to put force into it. You have to make it work. But that's not how God wants us to live our life. He wants to live by faith and let God get things accomplished. But when we think we know what's better and we try to make it happen, we try to force it to happen because of our pride, it leads to rebellion and it leads us to rebel against what God intended to happen because we think we can get it done. For the third time, Peter, because he doesn't understand and his pride rebels against God. Jesus just said, you can't follow me. And if you could... Mimic the words of a little kid. Nah, -uh, yes I can. 
That's pride and rebellion. I can follow you. I'll follow you even if I have to die. Now, that's some brave words. You know, Peter honestly meant that at the time. But it was not for him to follow Jesus to the cross. He could not have died for our sins. Only Christ could have died for our sins. Only Christ could have paid the, that price. Peter could not. Now again, Peter doesn't have an understanding what's going on. Verse 37, Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Again, Peter's being honest. He would willingly die so that Christ can live. But Christ died so that we could live. It was not for Peter to do. It was not Peter's responsibility. And so Jesus is talking to Peter about his pride. Pointing out that Peter wouldn't be, prepared, uh, uh, wouldn't be able to do this. He wouldn't be able to follow Christ. But in fact, because of his pride once again, he's going to deny Jesus three times. Which is the opposite of dying for him. Peter because of his pride, is going to fail. But it is, wasn't his responsibility to go to the cross. It was Jesus' responsibility to go to the cross. And so as we explain that Jesus Christ is the way, we understand, first of all, we cannot follow Christ to the cross. Jesus died for all the sins of the world, and he did not need our help, and he does not need anyone else's help. That in order to get saved, you don't have to be baptized. Jesus' blood is enough. In order for you to be saved, you don't have to accept Christ and live a good life. Jesus Christ's blood was enough. In order to be saved, you don't have to turn over a new leaf. Jesus Christ's blood is enough. In order to be saved, you don't have to be a member of the church. Jesus Christ's blood is enough. There's nothing we could add to it and nothing that could be taken away. Jesus Christ's blood is enough. Which brings us to a second thing here. Again, put yourself in Peter's place and imagine Jesus telling you, hey, where I'm going, you can't go. But I want to go. I'll follow you. Even if I have to die, I'm willing to follow you. And Jesus says, no, listen here. You're, not only are you can't follow me, you're going to deny me before the night's over. Now, that's pretty some discouraging words, isn't it, to hear you're going to fail me. Jesus is telling Peter, you are going to fail me. Not once, not twice, but three times you're going to fail me. No wonder the next verse in verse number 14, let not your heart be troubled. Notice, if you don't mind, the second thing that we see. That whereas, first of all, we cannot follow Christ to the cross. The second thing we do understand is that we can follow Christ to the place prepared. We can follow Christ to the place prepared. Notice with me in chapter 14 in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now again, this is a, a passage that we use to comfort a lot of folks. And rightfully so. Think about the disciples. In the next 12 hours, they're going to go through the worst time in their life. And what was Jesus' advice to them? Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But let's hold on a second. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, 
believe also in me. Notice as Jesus explains himself now in verse number 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Now Jesus is explaining that we can't follow him to the cross, that's for him alone. But he's going to prepare a place for us, and we can go to that place. Now Jesus here is making reference to a Jewish custom of that time. Whenever two people would, would be contractually uh, signed to be married, meaning they're engaged, they're courting, they're preparing for marriage, the way that the Jewish custom was, was this, is that the bride-to-be would be left home, would be left at where she's at. The groom-to-be would go and prepare a place. Now, imagine this, that in the Jewish custom, before a man could get married, he had to have a job, he had to be self-sustaining, and he had to have a place prepared for his bride to go. Wouldn't that change a lot of things inside of America if those were taken care of? But in the Jewish day, the groom-to-be would go and prepare a place. Maybe he would buy a place. Maybe he would build a place. Whatever the terms was, he would go and make the place suitable so the wife can move in. Most of us men, I can't speak for ladies, but men, before we're married, we usually have a man cave. It is not suitable for a wife to come and live there. I meant she'll have to get rid of the deer heads and the, and the banana crates and all of those things out of the way that we're satisfied with just sitting in, a, in a <coughs> stools. You remember those old uh, spools? That's what we used to have. You used to sit on those. That was the table. But a wife, she wants things a little bit more homely, a little bit more comfortable for her. I remember, if you could forgive the personal illustration, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona for a while, and before I got married, I didn't have air conditioning in my truck. That one day, my AC unit uh, froze up, and my belt spun over it and burnt up, so I just bypassed the thing. Ah, it's fine. We got the, uh, got the 245 on, two windows down, 45 miles an hour. You get, I mean, it's in the desert, so what if it's 110? You know, get a nice tan, it's fine. You survive. My pastor, before I got married, I was getting ready to get married. Uh, the wedding date was prepared. He pulled me aside and said, you cannot marry her till you get that air conditioning fixed. You know, that's a necessary thing. That I had to make it so she would be comfortable as well. Men could survive quite a bit, but it needs to be prepared so she is comfortable as well. Now, that's a, uh, a modern illustration, but back then... The, the, the groom-to-be would go prepare a house. He would make it livable for the bride to come and feel comfortable. And he wasn't the one that decided when it was done. His father would examine the house, and when it met his father's approval, the father would say, Son, go get your bride. And back in those ancient days, in, in the, those days of the Bible, that you did not plan a wedding date. You didn't say, well, at December 6th at 1 o'clock, that's when we're going to send out invitations. What would happen in those days is that you always had to be ready because 
you could, did not know when the groom was going to come back. It may be morning, it may be noon, may be evening, but it may be soon coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again. And that the groom, once the father said, son, go get your bride, he would come back. And the bride had to be ready for the for the coming of her groom-to-be. And she always had to be ready. That's why the Bible speaks about, in the Gospel record of Matthew, it gives the parable of the uh, virgins with the oil, that you had some that were prepared, some that were not prepared. And those that weren't prepared, they missed the wedding. They missed it. And it was an illustration back in those days. You did not know when the groom was going to come back. You always had to be ready and looking for his soon appearing. You know he's coming sometime. And you had to be prepared. Maybe it's today. Maybe today. Maybe today. Maybe today. Maybe today. And so Jesus Christ is using this illustration. Saying guys. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Notice again what he says. In gospel record of John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have gone, I would have told you. Notice this, I go to prepare a place for you. So where is Jesus Christ right now? He's preparing a place for us. He's preparing a place where we'll feel comfortable for his bride to come and be welcome. Verse number three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That whether where I am, there you may be also. That Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. And what he is waiting for right now is he's waiting for his father to say, Son, go get your bride. And as soon as he gets the word, Jesus Christ is coming back. He is going to come back, and as the Bible talks about in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that the dead in Christ shall rise for us, and then us that are alive and remain shall meet him together up in the air. Oh, we're looking forward to that when Jesus Christ is coming back. We're just waiting for the time that the Father says, Go get your bride. But what he's doing right now is he's away from us. He is a distance. He's not physically with us. He is preparing a place for us with the idea that he is coming back. To go get his bride. And on the bride's side. We're just waiting for his return. Could it be today? Could it be today? Could it be today? You understand part of our problem. Is that we're not looking forward to the groom coming. For those of you who are married. You remember the preparation for your married wedding day? My wife and I were both believers following the Lord. And I was convinced in my head that the rapture was going to happen before. I got married. I just, it's going to happen. Oh no. Wouldn't it be just like, you know, you're thinking, you're looking forward to that date. There's an anticipation. There's a nervousness. There's, there's that anxiety. There's that excitement. No bride, a groom may be different, but no bride says, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, you know, if it happens, it happens, you know. No, decorations, family, invitations. The invitations have to be the right font. They have to be styled the right way. They, all that stuff has to be prepared. There, she is looking forward. Many people, if you haven't understood this, many people call the wedding day the bride's day. It is all about the bride. And even little girls, when they dream about their wedding, they're already thinking about the wedding dresses. They're already thinking about what colors and things are going to be. They're already anticipating all of that. 
Jesus, you know, that's the type of waiting we should have for Jesus. We should be looking forward to that day. It's not a ho-hum thing. Well, you know, if it happens, this is a big deal that we're anticipating. That the groom is coming back for his bride. And when that happens, the wedding day is going to happen. Are you looking forward to that wedding day? Are you looking forward to that time that Jesus Christ comes back for us? It is not something to set aside. It's not something, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. You should be excited that the groom is coming back. If Jesus Christ says, I am coming back. And then when that happens, where I am, there you may be also. That at that time, the groom comes back and he's going to bring the bride and they're going to be together. And we are going to be with him at that time. So as Jesus is explaining to the disciples, he is saying, hey, you can't follow me to the cross, but to the place that I'm preparing, that's where you could follow me to. You could be with me there at that time. If you don't mind, there's a third thing I'd like to show you here. That we understand that we cannot follow Christ to the cross. But we can follow Christ to the place prepared but there's a third thing that Jesus Christ mentions here is that we can follow Christ for he is the way. We can follow Christ for he is the way. Notice with me in verse number five. Now Jesus has already said in verse four, and whether I go you know and the way you know. Now, Thomas picks up on this, Thomas Didymus. A lot of people call him Doubting Thomas, but here he asks a very legitimate question. Notice in verse 5, Thomas saith unto him, Jesus, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? You know, that is a legitimate question. There is a lot of people today that do not know how to get to heaven. This is why we would use the religious term that they are lost. Why are they lost? Because they don't know the way. If you go ask a lost person, how do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? How, if I was to ask you, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? What would you tell me? They may give you that you need to be a good person. They may tell you that you need to live the Ten Commandments. They may tell you that you have to keep the sacraments. There are some that say you need to go to church. There are some people that says you're just fine as you are. But when they say anything outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we say that they are lost. They don't know how to get there. Now, there's something about men. Again, I can't speak for women because I ain't one. I'm a man. And so I can understand men. And the somehow thing about men is that we don't like to ask for directions. Now, I don't mind. I'm one of those people that go find a worker at Walmart just because I don't want to waste time. Where is this at? Let me get it right here. But not all people are that way. Some lady can say, have you looked at your map? Where are you at? I don't know. I could figure it out. We're going to be fine. And you're not. There's many people who are like that. I'll be fine. I will find my own way. But Jesus Christ, he is the way. Thomas asked a good question. If, you're go if we can't follow you to the cross, but we can follow you to the place prepared, how do we know the way? How can we know how to get there? How do we get to heaven? How do we find it? Is there a ladder? Is there a secret entrance? Is there a portal behind a cave? Where do we find this entrance to heaven? How do we get there? Is there an airline ticket we could buy? How can we find our way to where Jesus Christ is? How can we find to where we could spend eternity with him? Well, Jesus answers the question in verse number 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but 
by me. Jesus Christ is very simple and said, you want to know how to get to heaven? You want to know how to be with me for all eternity? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man, no man go to the Father but by me. You understand, salvation is not a plan. It is a person. Jesus Christ is the one that saves. It is him that gets us access to God. It is him that makes the way. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the way to get to heaven. You understand that Jesus Christ answers the questions of life in this statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Someone says, how can I be saved? Jesus Christ said, I am the way. That there's not a way to get to heaven unless you go through Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the way, he uses what we call in English as the definite article. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way. There are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way. And if there are many ways to heaven, that means Jesus is a liar and he cannot be the way. Because he said, I am the way. There is only one way to heaven. Now you say, well, that sounds like bad news. What about people who've never heard the gospel? Well, I'm sorry to say that Jesus Christ is the way and the only way. You say, well, what about them? Well, this is why we need to send missionaries. We need to send somebody to tell them with the gospel so they can understand that Jesus Christ is the way. Well, what about my friend? They are religious. They go to church. They, they say that they're, they, uh, they love the Lord. Well, they have to trust Jesus Christ as their only Savior. Jesus Christ is the way. There is no other way to get to heaven but by Jesus Christ. He is the way. So we ask the question, how can I be saved? How can I be forgiven of my sins? Jesus Christ is the way. We have another question. How can I be sure? That's a good question. How can I be sure? Jesus answers that, but I am the truth, the definite article. You know, we live in a world that is devoid of truth. We live in a world that has lots of information, but very little truth. Many of you may have heard about the man who sued the courts recently because he was 60-something years old, but he identified himself as a 40-year-old. So he went to the courts to sue him. Now, you think this is a joke. No, this is just to happen. He went to the courts to sue to be legally recognized as 20 years younger. Now, the courts just ruled, I think, yesterday that, he could, that um, they're not going to identify him as 20 years younger. But we live in a society where that's now happening, where that's allowed to happen. Why? Because people don't believe in truth. They don't believe there can be truth. How can you know truth? And so if you were born as a boy, you could just change to whatever gender you want. It doesn't even gender. There are people who self-identify as a cat and they want to be legally recognized as a cat. I saw an article the other day where there was a lady who was in love with a roller coaster. And uh, she wanted to be identified to be able to be married to a roller coaster. You say, what's happening? We live in a world that does not have truth. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth. How can we be sure when we knock on doors and we meet people? People say all the time, I don't know if anybody can know for sure they're going to heaven. Well, the Bible says we can. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, know that you have 
eternal life. I love that word no. I have a science background. The word no means to have knowledge of based off of evidence. When you have knowledge of it, the Bible talks about, it is because of truth. There is evidence of it. Jesus Christ left evidence. You say, what evidence do we have? The greatest evidence is the evidence of a changed life. That Jesus Christ changes life. That if something as big as God comes to live in something as small as my heart, there's going to be some changes. That Jesus Christ leaves evidence that he saves people. Evidence that you can be born again. Evidence that the Bible is true. And there's all kinds of evidence. We can trust the Bible because it's true. You may not be able to trust much things. You can't trust CNN. You can't trust CNBC. You can't trust Fox News. But you could trust the Bible. You can trust God's word. It is truth because it is, comes from God himself. Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. We live in a world that has no sure foundation. But we can be sure because Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. Another thing that we can identify and understand here is not only we can answer the question, how can I be saved? How can I be sure? But we can ask the question, how can I be satisfied? How can I be satisfied? Well, the Bible says, I am the way. I am the truth. Jesus Christ says this, I am the life. I am the life. You know, Jesus Christ is the self-sufficient one. And there is a sufficiency in Christ. That what you need in your life is not a new car. What you need in your life is not a new house. What you need in your life is not a million dollars. You know what you need? You need Christ. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. That Jesus Christ is enough. Sometimes you don't learn that lesson until Jesus is all you have. But Jesus Christ is enough. He's the one that satisfies. There are people today that are trying to find satisfaction in another person. Let me let you know some news that you probably found out. Your spouse cannot satisfy you in life. Let me tell you something that you probably learned. Your job cannot satisfy every aspect in your life. Let me tell you something you probably found out. That your children cannot fill in the void that is in your life. Jesus Christ is the only one that can completely satisfy. And when you have Christ, you have all that you need. And then when you have Christ, you have the answer to prayers that you're looking for. When you have Christ, he is your great supplier. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus Christ is the life. He is my satisfaction. When I have Christ, he is all I need. And I could be satisfied with him. So Jesus Christ, as he's talking about this, he says that we could follow after Christ because he is the way. Now earlier I had you underline the word the way, the way, the way. The reason why is because of this statement here, Christianity for the first couple centuries was called the way. You didn't call it Christianity, you called it the way. Even in the book of Acts you would say those are followers of the way. That's in reference to here in John 14 where Jesus Christ said, I am the way. You, you would identify yourself, hey, I'm a follower of the way. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That they are followers of the way. Jesus is all we need. So as we come to this point here, Jesus is giving comfort. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid the price for us at Calvary and he didn't need any help. He did it all and he was enough. 
How can you be, let not your heart be troubled? Because we can know for sure that he has paid my debt. He is taking care of everything. He's preparing a place for us and we can go with him. How can I not let my heart be troubled? How can I be satisfied? Recognizing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man go to the Father but by him. That when you have Christ, you have all that you need. You can have everything that you need. That when we follow after Christ, we can let our hearts not be troubled because Christ is the answer to everything we need. Christ is the answer. So let me ask you, dear friend, we know that we live in a time of life that some of you may have different problems. Some of you may have physical problems. Some of you may have financial problems. Some of you may have family problems. And you look at the family, you look at the finances, you look at the physical, and you would have to admit that your heart is troubled. You know what the answer that you need for finances is Christ. You know what you, the answer is for for physical? Christ. You know what the answer is for your family problems? Christ. You understand that you don't have to let your heart be troubled. You could be looking up to God in the midst of your storm and be anchored down because of who Jesus is. So let's, let me ask you this question. Has your heart been troubled in the last week? As you look back, are there some things that you've been kind of freaking out about, uncertain about, nervous about, wringing your hands about, rubbing your hands, pacing about? The Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. Why can we say that? Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes we just need the simple reminder to keep our eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.